Well, good morning, College Heights. As you've probably guessed, I am not Cy Huffer. I've got a lot more hair than that guy. A lot more uh, other things, too. But one of the things that is different about this Sunday morning is not only do we not have our preacher, but we're going to do some different things. And one of those Katie already mentioned, which is when you came in, you should have gotten three pieces of paper. If you did not manage to do that, please raise your hand right now. Put it up high. We have some lovely people who are going to come deliver these papers for you. We've got kind of them all around. We want to make sure we get those. Those are important parts of our service today. You want to make sure everybody has those papers, something to write with. If you stole a pen, give it back at the end, and we'll do that. All right, let's pray to start us out this morning. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here and to remember who you are. Father, we give this morning and this moment and this experience to you, and we ask that you make of it what you will. For it's in your name. Amen. Have you ever wanted to see change happen, but you didn't know where to begin? Have you ever wanted for things in life to be different, but you just didn't know where to start? One of the more common and honestly comical examples that we get from this comes from young romance. You guys know how that works. There's a young man and there's a girl that he notices and sees and wants a change in the status of their relationship, but doesn't necessarily have a good plan or strategy on how to make that happen. One of my favorite stories, this comes from an old friend of mine, named Zach, and he told me the story one time, it was when he was in high school. It was prom season, kind of like what we're going through right here, right now. And there was this girl that he'd been talking to and getting to know, and he wanted to ask her to go to prom with him. The problem was he didn't want to do it at school because there's friends around and people would see it. And if, you know, worst case scenario, she says, no, he's never going to live that down. And so he needed a strategy. He needed a plan. So he says, I know how it's going to happen. I, I know where she works. She's at this, you know, kind of local mom-and-pop pharmacy that you have in small-town Kansas, apparently. And he's going to go there, and he's going to, you know, just casually happen to come by her work and, you know, strategically place himself in the room so that they'll just run into each other casually. Then he can start a conversation and eventually ask her to prom. Safe place. Everything's going to go great. And so that's what he does. Goes to the pharmacy, you know, just looking around at things, and she happens to walk by, and casual conversation starts, and... So he asked her, says, you know, you have any, have any plans for prom coming up? And much to his chagrin, she did. She said, well, honestly, I, I didn't think anyone would ask me. And so friends and I kind of already made a pact, and we'd all go together. And, of course, he's crushed in that moment. But he was not prepared for what she was going to ask next, which was, Zach, can I, uh, can I help you with anything? Yeah, he's got to have a reason to be there. And he hadn't thought that through. And so he said in that moment, his, his brain just panicked. He said, it froze up like, you know, a car you can't start. It's just not going anywhere. And he's trying to think, what am I here for? What am I doing? And out of his mouth came, do you have any denture cups? <laughs> he swears to this day he has no idea why of all the things cataloging through his brain at a mile a minute at that moment, denture cups was the thing he asked for. And of course, it gets worse because she just kind of looks at him. She's like, I don't, 
I don't even know if we have denture cups. Let me go ask my boss. And so they go have a conversation. And, and he's just sitting there and he's like, what am I doing now? I mean, I don't even know how much denture cups cost. What if they're like $100? I mean, I don't know. And so she comes back with a pair of denture cups and he's, he's too far in at this point. So he's got to purchase them, which he does. And so he leaves the pharmacy with no prom date, but with a consolation prize, a pair of denture cups. Have you ever wanted to see change happen, but you didn't know where to begin? In this sermon series that we've had on justice, I hope that that has been stirred in your heart. I hope that you have wanted to see change, but honestly, you're at a place where you don't really know how to start that. You don't know what the strategy of justice even is. I know that's been true in my life. Can you go back with me to the late 1980s? I'm like seven, eight years old, and like most things at that age of my life, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid, so I'm at church. That's just how it works. Doors are open, you're there. And it's, I think, a, I think a Tuesday night. Our, we just built this new building, and we had this crazy, hip new thing in churches those days called a gym, and we were going to take advantage of that gym, and so we would have open gym nights where people would just come, and it's a bit chaotic, but you get to know people in the neighborhood, and good relationships start from there, and uh, I'm there, because that's what we all do, it's being a wheeler. And uh, people are shooting hoops and all this kind of stuff happening. I notice in the corner of the gym is, is one of my good friends, and I notice that there's a semicircle of much larger boys around him. And I start to inch over that way just to see what's going on, because I can tell it's not good. And I can hear the things that they're saying, and they're talking about his clothes and his hair and his family and... I can hear the words being said, and I know that something has to change. I know that I can't let that continue, but I don't really know what to do. And so, in my zeal, I just step in front of the boys, and I get myself between him and them, and I'm going to say this prophetic word that is just going to, you know, cut their hearts and it's going to be a big moment and they're going to feel so convicted for what they're doing and we're going to have an invitation hymn just as I am, all three stanzas, you know how it is. So I'm ready and I say, hey, but I'm seven, so it's more like, hey. <laughs> you know, I'm standing there in my blonde bowl cut and my G.I. Joe t-shirt and my shorts that are way too short because it's the 80s. And I say, hey, you want to make something of it? <laughs> Again, not, not the prophetic word that convicted their hearts. And in fact, the response was for the oldest boy to come up to me and grab me by the shirt and punch me in the stomach as hard as he could. And it was like in that moment, a, a dam broke open where instead of just physical or instead of just verbal, this now became physical. And I managed to crawl my way out of there, but in that moment I knew that I had made a bad situation suddenly much, much worse. That's what happens sometimes in our strategy of justice. That we look around at the world and we see things that are wrong and we want to do something about it. We look around and we see disease and famine and wars and we want a world that is in harmony. And we look around and we see the rights of the unborn trampled. We want a place where our most vulnerable have a place to live. And we see systems of injustice around gender and race. And we want everyone to have the opportunity to live the ideals that we were founded on. 
but we don't know where to begin. So we run in with our passion and our zeal and our righteousness, and we just start doing stuff. And oftentimes we make the situation not better, but worse. And so what do we do? What I should have done that night was make my plan B my plan A. Because when I was able to remove myself in that moment, I did what I should have done at the very beginning, which was go talk to my dad. Which was go to my father who has more strength and wisdom and understanding than I ever will at that age and go to him and tell him what's going wrong and confess the situation and ask him to intervene. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Is our, my DT, my big thought, my big thing that I want to tell you that I hope you go home with is that in our strategy for justice, we begin with prayer. Because that's definitely our passage this morning. We're in Isaiah, as always. I want you to go there with me. Isaiah chapter 64. What we have here is a prayer. A prayer of a people who are sick and tired of seeing the problems around them. The Assyrians have come and they've brought their destruction. The Babylonians are on their way and they want to see it stop. But the way that they do that is not to arm up. The way they do that is not to jump into the fight. The way that they start that strategy is to call upon God and for him to come and save us. We see kind of three pieces here, three patterns in this prayer, and and that's just what we're going to walk through today. This is a sermon on prayer, and I got good advice a long time ago, which said that if you ever preach a sermon on prayer, don't forget to, you know, pray. So we're going to do that. Like I told you, it'll be a little different. But let's get into it. We see here in this passage that in our prayer for justice, number one, we start with a prayer for God's justice to reign. Isaiah begins on behalf of his people, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known before your enemies. Cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. I mean, that's some fire. That is a call for God to intervene. And I kind of hope this morning that we're already there, because that's the point of these series. We want to take you from point A to point B. That's why we talked about the beginning of justice and the anointing of justice and the devotion of justice. That's why we learned hard truths about how broken systems break people and broken people break systems. And that's why we did like motions and stuff. You remember? Because we want you to be here already. We want you to get to a place where you want to see change and you want to see that happen. And I hope that's where we're starting from. Because what's really interesting and what's really weird is where this strategy in the prayer for justice goes next. Go with me to the second half of verse 5. He says, But when we continued to sin against your ways, you were angry. How then can we be saved? (laughs) 
All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. After we ask on God to intervene, the second part of that strategy is we admit who we are. We admit the injustices that we have done. That's a difficult place to be. It requires honesty and truth and, and vulnerability and all those things that we try to avoid. But do you see the strategy there? That before we go in and we try to fix things in other places and in other systems and in other people, we've got to realize the problem that starts here in this place. We've got to realize that we are unfit and unwise and incapable of doing anything on our own. Because we are a broken people. And we admit that before God. This passage is a lot to unpack. He admits that we are sinful. In verse 5, he asks that kind of existential aching question straight out of Acts 2. How can we be saved? Essentially, what do we do now? He says, all of us have become unclean. No one gets out of this. He says, even the best things that we try to do, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. A very poignant metaphor to throw in there. It's honestly, if I'm real with you, a bit awkward to explain what that is. And I'm not going to. Thankfully, though, one of our ministers on staff has volunteered to explain any awkward Bible question you have. Go ahead and put that slide up for me. Uh, if you have awkward Bible questions, anything that you don't know about, Titus Neuenschwander has volunteered to answer those questions day and night. As Titus at chjoplin.org. He'd be happy to explain anything like that for you. Yes, thank you, Titus. Isaiah continues by talking about our weakness, talking us like a shriveled leaf blown away by the winds. He says, none of us call on your name. None of us try to be who you want us to be. And then one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture says, you've hidden your face from us and given us over. Before we go about fixing the world, we've got to be honest about who we are. We've got to be honest about the sin and brokenness that we bring into those things. It requires us to be real. It requires us to just say the truth. It's like that story that Sai told us a few weeks ago about his daughter in the, the poopocalypse. You remember that one? Some of you weren't there that Sunday. I can see your faces right now. You're very confused about what in the world I'm talking about. I don't have time to tell the story again. Thankfully, one of our ministers on staff, though, <laughs> go ahead and put that one up there. Uh, any questions about um, anything there? Jay Quaddy chjoplin.org, more than happy. <laughs> They're never going to let me preach again. Um, but the point of that story and the message from it was, you know, his initial reaction in seeing a problem was to first blame the individual, his daughter, then to blame the system his wife had put in place, when the truth at the end of the day was the problem is, is me. 
And this morning we want you to acknowledge that. So in those papers that you got, take out the blue one. What we're going to do in this blue paper is we're going to pray. And I want you to write out a prayer to God confessing the injustices that you've done to others, confessing the wrongness in you, confessing your sin, confessing how you talk to your spouse, confessing your ethics at work, confessing how you talk to your children, confessing what you're like in your most private moments. Because any strategy for justice has to involve you being real with who you are. And this morning we're going to get a chance to do this. How it's going to work. Take that paper out. Start the prayer. We're going to give you a few minutes. There's just going to be music playing. And we're going to do that. Then eventually the band's going to come out. And we're going to do a song. You can stand and sing with it. You can sit down and just sit in this moment. I don't know. It's you and Jesus. Do what you need to do. Let's begin. Father, this morning we confess our sins to you. We bring to you the ways that we so often every day fall short of who you are. Father, we confess and we bring them to you this morning. Amen. There's a second part of this confession, though. It's a part that in many ways is is harder than the first. Because in these verses... Isaiah doesn't use first-person language. He doesn't talk about I and me. He talks about us and we. He recognizes that there's two sides to this because it's not just the injustices we've done, but the second part of it is confessing the injustices done against us. For some of you this morning, that's not going to be difficult to know what those are. The injustices done against you sit right here in front of your face every day that you wake up. You can name them, you can describe them, you can talk about exactly what they are. I don't need to go around and give statistics of how many people in this room have endured what, because you know. It's with you every morning. It's waiting for you every time you go to bed. For others, though, this is going to be a little more work. Because the things that have been done to you and the things that have been said, and the things that somebody stole from you that you'll never get back. You took those things and you buried them in some deep, dark place. To the point where today you don't even know why you are the way that you are. And I'm not saying in a few minutes this morning we're going to fix all that, we're going to unpack all that, but you've got to figure out where that leak in your soul comes from. And that requires some effort. That requires you to crack open some things. But that's part of this. Because we've got to recognize that if we want to fix things in the world, if we want to be a part of justice, that we bring baggage into that. We bring mixed motivations and all this kind of junk that's piled up because things have gone on in our lives. And that's going to be a part of anything that we try to do. So you've got to search for it. 
figure out where it started. It's a bit like uh, my family and I, we, we like to travel. That's just kind of our thing. That's our jam. And uh, now that we live in America, we, we do road trips. Those, those are fun things to do with four kids. Uh, of course, we've got to have a car that can, can fit all of us. And so, I mean, you guys know what it's like when you, you take four kids hours and hours and days upon days, and there's just junk that piles up in the car. You know how it is. Kids have immensely creative places to stuff things. So you come back, and, and one of the things I always want to do when we come back before we even unpack our suitcase or anything is clean out the car because, you know, there's just French fries and, and chicken nuggets and, and healthy things too. Don't worry, honey. There's like apple slices and baby carrots, and uh, they're just there in places, and you got to clean that out if you're going to let the car do what it's supposed to do. A few months back, we uh, took a trip, and I went through immediately and cleaned all the stuff out, and I thought we were good, but uh, that car's usually the one my wife drives. I'm not in there all that often, but it was several days later, we got in the car, and I noticed there was a bit of a smell. You know, it wasn't that big a deal, honestly. It was the thing. I mean, I thought, instantly, I thought it was my kids, because they're that age, you know. It's just, so we went, and we drove, and it was not a big deal, but I got in, Again, a few days later, I noticed it was worse. I rolled down the windows, tried to get airflow in, you know, just kind of clean this thing out and thought that was manageable. But then I got in again about a week later and we had a problem, a problem that was not getting any better. And so I knew I had work to do. After we got home, I went and got a flashlight and contorted my body places in that car. It should not fit to try to figure out where the problem is. And eventually... I found it. And it was deep down in this like crevice where there's like a railing and the seats move back and forth. And in there was this Ziploc bag. What was in there? I have no idea because at this point it's just black. And man, did it smell. But that's what you got to do this morning is admit where those things are in your heart. Is admit what you're carrying with you in this strategy of justice. That's what that yellow piece of paper's for. I want you to go ahead and take that out right now. I don't know how you're going to do this. You could write a prayer. You could make a list. You could use code words. I don't, I don't know what it has to be in your story. But give those things to Jesus. Tell him honestly where you're at and where you're struggling with and, and who those people are and the whole thing. Just give it up to him. We're going to do just like we did before. We're going to have a couple minutes where there's just going to be soft music playing and you can begin that journey and then we're going to do another song and you can participate however it is now. But, but take this opportunity, take this moment to begin that journey where you admit the injustices done against you. Father, this morning we bring to you these burdens. We bring to you these heavy things that lay on our shoulders. We bring to you the sickness in our souls. We bring to you the things that have been done to us, that we have endured, that we carry, that we have been living through. We ask Jesus in your love and your patience and in your grace to take them away. It's in your name. Amen. 
So what we have right now is these two things. We've got the injustices that we have done and the injustices that have been done to us. And we're asking that you do something with them. We're asking that you go to the place where justice is found for both of those things. What we're asking you to do with these tables that we've got around the room, there's some up here in front, there's some in the back, just like an airplane, the closest might be behind you. There are places that we want to go because we want to take these things and, and we want to take those papers where we confess and we admit what we have done and in a physical act, we repent of those and put those in the box and say, this is not who I am and this is not who I will be. By the grace and mercy of Jesus. And then we take the yellow paper and the things that have been done to us, the things that we bury in our souls, and we release. And we say, Jesus, take this away from us. Show us where your mercy and grace lies. And then we come to the middle. We come to the cross. We come to the bread and to the blood and to the place where justice is found. We've got to know that that blood flows both ways. As much as we hold to the faith, that mercy and grace found in the blood of Jesus covers our sin, we have to know that it covers the ones done to us as well. As much as we expect that from us, we have to give it to others. That's a hard thing to do. But this morning, I want you to just take a step there. This strategy for justice and this prayer, I want you to try it today. So in just a little bit, we'll, we'll start that time and come forward, come to these stations, repent, release, and then find Jesus. You can take them back to your seats. You can stand where you are. You can pray with somebody. You can cry. I don't, I don't know what it's going to take. But I just want you to try. Just try this morning as we do that together. The third and the final part in this strategy, this prayer is that we confess the results of our communal injustice and plead for mercy. Isaiah closes this out by turning back to God. He says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are your people. And your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our fathers praised you has been burnt with fire. And all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us? Beyond measure. What Isaiah talks about here is collective responsibility. It's different than individual responsibility. I mean, that also is a very good thing. We can't really have a society that's healthy without people standing in the mirror and saying, I own this, but we have to have the other side as well. Where we stand as a people where we confess our mess 
where we say that in our societies and in our families and in our neighborhoods, things are not okay and we all played a part in making that happen. It's confession as a people. That we don't have it all together. And that even in the best things we do, we still make it wrong. It's things like, you know, bemoaning the evils of capitalism from Twitter on your iPhone while you sit in the lobby of Starbucks. It's things like complaining and bemoaning the generations that have come after you and their values and their behaviors without asking yourself the question, who raised them? Who were their fathers and mothers and teachers and coaches and mentors? It's calling other people out on their privilege in this nation while not asking yourself, what does privilege look like on a global scale? Where suddenly you find yourself in the 1%. It's things like wearing your black box t-shirt and volunteering at Rafa House while in your private moments you consume pornography where every click is a coin in their coffers. It's protesting against abortion that when the desperate, single, impoverished woman comes into your life, you cross by on the other side of the road. It's coming together as a people and saying, we have broken all of this. It's coming together as God's people, as his children, and begging for mercy. It's coming together as one voice of one people where there's no bad guys and good guys. There's no liberals and conservatives. There's no black lives and blue lives. There's no toxic masculinity and raging feminism. It is one people in one voice, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all and say, have mercy on us for the brokenness that we have created. That's what your white piece of paper is for. We're not going to do it right now. What I want you to do is to take it home. I want you to confess who we are as a people and ask God in his grace and his mercy to forgive us. And put it in a place where you'll see it on a regular basis to remind yourselves of who we are. But we are still going to pray because that's what we do. That's the strategy. We're going to do it in a way that, that represents who we are as a people because this church has always been about being a place where anyone, regardless of race or country of origin or language, could come and find God together. And we want to stand in that gap and pray for our peoples. I mean, this is who we are as a church. It's the reason why, you know, we give 19% of our budget to global outreach. the reason we have the flags on the back of this room and out in the atrium. It's the reason why racial diversity is one of our major initiatives, because we want to be a place for the nations. So he's asked people to come out and pray, to represent, to show us what it means to be a united people before God, no matter where we come from.
and ask for his justice and ask for his mercy to shine and flow upon us. I'll pray for Kenya in Swahili. Baba, na kushukuru asubuhi ya leo kwa sababu ya vile ulivyo mwema. Asante kwa sababu ya wakati huu Mungu wetu. Ninaomba kwa We've done evil in your sight. Father, we confess to you this morning that we have let the budget and bottom lines and numbers stand in the way of who we should be as your people, of your truth and of your gospel. We confess that to you this morning. And we want to see you fix it. And we want to see your justice and your mercy flow on us. We want to see your justice roll down like a mighty river. We want to see your righteousness like a life-giving stream. We ran the heavens and come down. And may the mountains shake before you. And have mercy on your people. Be the God that we know that you are. We ask these things as your people and in your name. Amen.